Thank you, Becky. Uh, the scripture lesson this morning is from Mark chapter 9, verses 2 through 9. And the title of the sermon, I've changed it to um, a Kite Flying, Pit Falling God. Um, I love the water. I, I, I've always wanted a home on the water. I, I think, uh, in case you're wondering, my preaching would be a lot better if one of you gave me a home on the water. I mean, um, I mean, it's just a thought. You know, generosity is a spiritual gift. Uh, I would take one on Tim's Ford, Old Hickory, or even by the beach. I mean, I'm not too picky about that. Um, I do love the water. I love when we go on vacation to sit out on the balcony of our hotel with a cup of coffee and just to listen to the waves or the water crashing up against the shore. Um, I have thought about as I was, it's been so windy the last few days and thinking about this transfiguration text, uh, one of the things I enjoy doing while I'm drinking my coffee on the balcony of a hotel room overlooking the ocean is watching the kids when they get their kites out. Uh, you see that a lot on the beach and I can remember, uh, it's been years ago, maybe even 10 or more years ago when I was sitting out on the beach one morning with a cup of coffee and a little boy and his family came out to fly a kite and uh, the little boy uh, got his kite, started running down the beach with it and the kite sort of took off maybe 6, 10 feet in the air but it was a turbulent flight and it didn't last very long and, and the kite just ended up crashing into the sand and the little boy was clearly upset and he looked up at the heavens as if God had somehow played a cruel trick on him. He, he couldn't figure out what was wrong and I, I wondered if he was just going to give up and go do something else, build a sandcastle or something. But after a moment of looking up, he rolled the spool, the, the uh, string back up into the spool and he tried it again and this time he had much better success uh, 10 20 30 feet in the air the kite was really beginning to fly and the little boy looked back to see if his mom and dad were paying attention and their uh, faces were buried into their phones they didn't really see what was going on I think the only person that saw what was going on at that moment was me and and maybe some of the seagulls that were flying around it was a what I remember most vividly about this particular time was that the seagulls were flying so close to that kite. It was as if they were trying to see how close they could get to it without actually touching it. It was just a, a beautiful scene. And then all of a sudden, the, the uh, kite began to get turbulent again. And the next thing you know, that it had come crashing down to the ground again. And this time the little boy began to cry. It's like he didn't want that experience to end. Um, I still remember that. I can't help but wonder if maybe Peter uh, knows a little bit about a kite that's soaring high one moment and then crashing to the ground another moment. I mean, just before our scripture lesson this morning six days prior Jesus has gathered together with a bunch of people and he's teaching and so he's asking a bunch of questions to them and one of the questions that he asked is who do people say that I am and, and so the crowd began to answer the questions and well some people say you're Elijah some people say you're John the Baptist some people say you're Jeremiah some people say that you're one of the other prophets and 
And, and then Jesus asked a more pointed question, and he directed this particular question to his closest disciples, the 12 apostles. He said, well, who do you say that I am? And uh, we don't know if all of the disciples would have answered in the same way. We don't get a chance to hear what the other disciples say. Because impulsive Peter, he's always the first to do everything. Peter, Simon st speaks up and says, well, you are the Messiah, the Son of the Most High God. And, and you can almost imagine that he answers that question correctly. Uh, that Peter's kite is just soaring in the wind. Um, and, and if it's not soaring at that moment, when, when he answers the question correctly, then surely his kite is soaring when Jesus responds to him. And Jesus responds to Peter and says, you know, you couldn't even get this right by yourself. This had to have come from God. And, and, and that's why you will forevermore be known as Peter, because on you, on this rock, and that's what Peter means in Greek, is rock. On this rock, I plan to build my church. And don't you know, Peter's kite was just waving in the air. This was a moment that he did not want to end under any circumstances. And yet, all of a sudden, the kite comes crashing down. You see, Jesus went on to say to the disciples that, that he was going to have to die, that he was going to be crucified. And, and Peter wanted nothing to do with that. Peter didn't think that that was what Messiah did. And so Peter actually rebukes Jesus for saying that he must go to the cross. And Jesus responds to the man that he's just named the rock. And now he calls him Satan. He says, get behind me, Satan. And so that flying kite that Peter had in the ground, that moment that he didn't want to end, it just came crashing down all of a sudden to go from being the rock to the devil. Don't you know that he was feeling pretty bummed out about that? If, if Peter's friends, his fellow apostles, or anything like mine, they were probably taking every opportunity to just kind of rib him every once in a while, you know. Uh, maybe behind his back, snickering and calling him Satan. Maybe sometimes even calling it to him face. And, and maybe if, they, um, if Peter said something, they said, well, I, I can't hear you. Uh, your foot's in your mouth. Uh, could you take it out. I mean, don't you just imagine that they're, they're having a time with Peter. Peter is probably still wrestling with the fact that his kite was soaring in the air in one moment and crashing to the ground in the next moment when they begin to make their way up that mountain that day. Peter, James, and John, the sons of thunder, and Jesus. And when they get up onto that mountain, all of a sudden something amazing happens. We're told that Jesus is transfigured before them. And, and Becky in her children's sermon sort of referenced what that word transfiguration means. We're told that Jesus' clothes became dazzling white. Clorox on its best day could not duplicate what those disciples saw that day on the mountain and then all of a sudden, there was a voice from heaven, and the voice from heaven says, This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. 
It's as if that word was directed right at Peter, who when Jesus had told Peter that he must die, that he must be crucified on the cross, Peter wanted nothing to do with that. He didn't want to believe that it was true. And now this voice from heaven, God himself, is saying, listen to Jesus. He is my son, the beloved It was an amazing experience because Elijah and Moses were also there and they were talking. There were these three giants of the faith having a conversation together. We don't know if Peter could hear everything that they were saying or that he couldn't hear anything that they were saying and was jealous because he couldn't. But whatever was going on on that day, we do know that Peter thought that something amazing was happened and that Peter, much like the little boy flying the kite, didn't want that moment to end. And so Peter suggested that they build these three booths, these three tents, these three dwelling places. One for Elijah, one for Mo, um, Jesus, and one for Moses. And, and, and that they just stay up on that mountain. And yet, all of a sudden, poof. Jesus' clothes are no longer dazzling white. Elijah and Moses are no longer there on the mountain. No longer do they hear the voice of God. It's as if that moment that Peter didn't want to end had ended. It's as if in one moment his kite's flying in the the air and the next moment it's falling to the ground. And then they make their way back down the mountain. You know, I think all of us, like the little boy in the kite, like Peter in the transfiguration, we too have had moments that we did not want to end. Mountaintop moments, just so amazing, so beautiful, and so wonderful that, that, we, that we just found ourselves basking in the glory of those moments, but, but we did not want them to end. And yet, they often do end. Uh, They ended for Jesus and the disciples. It's as if Jesus wanted those disciples to know that, yes, this is a beautiful moment. Yes, you have seen me in my glory on this mountain, but you've not seen me in my greatest glory. For my greatest glory is what I talked to you about before we ever came up this mountain, and that's that I must die for the sins of the world and be resurrected from the dead. And we can't stay here on this mountain. Mountaintop experiences are nice. They're wonderful. We don't want them to end. But much of life is lived in the valleys. And sometimes God's greatest glory is revealed to us. Not when we're on the mountaintop. With moments that we wish would never end. But when we're going through difficult days. When we're walking in the valley. When we're experiencing suffering and death. And persecution and peril. Because our God is not only a kite flying God. Our our, our God is a pit falling God. A God who is always with us. You see Jesus didn't want to stay on the mountain with Elijah and Moses. Jesus wanted to go back down the mountain with the ones he loved. With the disciples. With us. So we serve a God that gives us these mountaintop experiences and praise be to God for them. But we serve a God who goes with us when we leave those mountaintop experiences because they don't 
last. And who walks with us in the day-to-dayness of our life. And who sometimes reveals his greatest glory in our darkest days. Thanks be to God for a kite flying and pit falling God.